Welcome to Heard at Heritage. Heard at Heritage features cutting-edge analysis and thought from leading experts in and across the conservative movement, as well as premier events and programming from the Heritage Foundation here in the heart of Washington, D.C., brought straight to you. Good morning, and on behalf of our president, Kay Coles-James, I would like to thank you for joining the Heritage Foundation and the Gloucester Institute for our annual J.A. Parker Lecture. When Mrs. James took the helm at the Heritage Foundation, she decided that each February, we would honor the work and life of Jay Parker and celebrate and bolster the work of others who have followed in his footsteps. Through her leadership and personal investment, Mrs. James has made this an annual event. It's so wonderful to have all of you with us today for the fourth year. I'd also like to welcome our distinguished guests, but before I introduce our speakers today, I wanna to take a minute to honor the incredible man for whom this event is named. As you may know, our president Kay James is personally indebted to the great Jay Parker. Many of you knew him as the father of the modern black conservative movement. Mrs. James knew him as a dear friend and mentor. Jay Parker led the Lincoln Institute for Education and Research, which brought together great Black conservative intellectuals like Thomas Sowell, Walter Williams, and Ann Wortham. Jay Parker worked to advance the ideals of limited government, individual freedom, and a society that judged men and women on the basis of individual merit not on race, religion, or ethnic background. Jay Parker had such a powerful and lasting impact that Justice Clarence Thomas credits him for his seat on the Supreme Court. He was a special man whose legacy certainly lives on to this day. Our nation is truly a better place because of his incredible wisdom, tenacity, and generosity of spirit. Today, the Heritage Foundation and the Gloucester Institute had the distinct honor of hosting the woman behind the man, the woman whose work and encouragement allowed Jay Parker to do what he did. Jay Parker's wife, Ms. Dolores Parker, is with us today, along with their daughter, Ashley. I'd like to invite Ms. Dolores Parker and Ashley to the screen to share a few words. Ms. Parker? Good morning, and thank you so very much for this fourth annual Jay Parker Day. Roger Green, a close friend, wrote a commentary in the Washington Times on November 8th, 2015, entitled, Remembering J.A. Parker. Roger wrote of the Lincoln Institute for Research and Education, which Jay founded and the emerging black conservative movement. He went on to say, Jay was responsible for bringing together such black conservatives as the late Walter Williams, Thomas Sowell, and Clarence Thomas. Jay passed away five and a half years ago in his hometown, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And today, Thanks to dear friends Kay and Charles James, we remember and celebrate him 
through this fourth annual J.A. Parker Lecture. I met Jay Parker when I was 16 years old, and I could tell even then that he was special. Some would even say different for a young man growing up in South Philadelphia. Jay Parker was an outstanding role model for young and old, black and white. He strongly believed in a colorblind society because he believed individuals should be judged on merit, not skin color. He worked hard to prove this through his commitment to the ideas of limited government, personal responsibility, and the treatment of people. He was an excellent mentor. Jay practiced what he preached as he became very active in many Washington organizations, including the Junior League of Washington, D.C., the Washington Board of Trade, Goodwill Industries, Columbia Lighthouse for the Blind, and the Kiwanis Club of Washington, D.C., to name a few. He served on many boards, including Gallaudet, James Madison University, and Southeastern University. Jay was known for his smile and the wearing of his hats. He had many friends on both sides of the political spectrum and lived life to the fullest. Once again, many, many thanks to you, Kay and Charles James and the Heritage Foundation for letting those of us who knew Jay to never forget him, this special guy, and to also introduce him to others through this annual lecture. In closing, his youngest daughter, Ashley Deanne, and his wife, Dolores, sincerely thank you for this fourth annual day. Thank you so much, Mrs. Parker and Ashley. It's such an honor having you all with us. And again, on behalf of your dear friend, Kay James and Charles James, thank you for all the lifetime of work that you and your husband have given to the black community and the entire conservative movement. Now I'd like to introduce our featured speakers for the Jay Parker lecture, Congressman Burgess Owens and Congressman Byron Donalds. Please join me on the screen. Congressman Owens is a freshman Republican who represents Utah's fourth congressional district. Of course, we all know him as a safety playing for 10 seasons with the New York Jets and the Oakland Raiders. He gained the title of Super Bowl champion in 1980 when the Raiders won the Super Bowl 15. Recently, his dedication to helping kids led him to found Second Chance for Youth, a nonprofit dedicated to helping troubled and incarcerated young people. And even before he became a congressman, he was a featured guest contributor at Fox News. We also have with us today, Congressman Byron Donalds, a freshman Republican representing Florida's 19th congressional district. 
Before coming to Congress, he was a businessman who worked in finance, insurance, and banking. He also served two terms in the Florida House of Representatives. He says that his mother taught him to, lead, to leave future generations a better world than the current one. And that's what guides him in everything he does. For over a decade, as a youth leader in his church, he mentored middle and high school students and also volunteers as a youth football and basketball coach. Both of these gentlemen joined us back in December annual President's Club meeting to talk to our members about their mission as new members of Congress. And I have to say, they inspired the crowd. I'm looking forward to hearing from both of them today. And I'd like to start out by giving each gentleman the floor individually for a few minutes to tell us about his priorities in Congress for the next two years, especially with Democrats in control. So let's start with you, Representative Donalds. Um, we'd love to hear you talk about your priorities and also any insight you can give us on HR1, um, also known as the For the People Act, and how it could disregard the Constitution and could be used as a ruthless power grab in the form of election reform. Over to you, Representative Donalds. Uh, well, Angela, first of all, thanks so much for having me. It's, it's really an honor to be here and to be a part of the celebration of the life of Jay Parker, uh, somebody who, you know, frankly, was really a forerunner. He was the pioneer uh, in the Black conservative uh, movement. And so it's really just an honor to be able to, to be here and continue the journey that he started for so many of us that believe in individual liberty, believe in our constitution, and also believe that you know freedom is the is really the pathway to true prosperity and the true equality. So it's really an honor to be here. Um, in Congress, you know, I've been here a couple of weeks, and so you know my goals are pretty straightforward and pretty simple. Uh, a lot of them believe they begin with really just making sure that we get fresh blood here in Washington D.C. I think term limits is essential uh, for this institution to really be functional and also to to really. Um, follow any the minds and the ideas of what our voters back home truly want and desire. And I think that's what they want a Washington that largely will leave them alone, which will do a few things, do them well. Uh, but other than that, leave these decisions in the hands of the American people overall. Uh, one of the main issues we're facing other than obviously coronavirus spending, uh, which is what you mentioned, is HR uh, one or the For the People Act is like what they like to call it. Uh, this bill is frankly, a Washington takeover of the election process. In, in my state of Florida, I believe we have the best election laws in the country. Now, it's it's taken Florida 20 years to get there. Everybody remembers the hanging chads of 2000. Uh, but we know how to do, uh, in my state, we know how to do mail-in uh, voting. We know how to do voter ID. We know how to check voter rolls. We know how to give voters an opportunity to cure their, their ballots to make sure that their votes actually count. Um, and that we also know how to make sure we not account ballots overall. We do it effectively, we do it efficiently. Uh, while we watched most of the nation take days, if not weeks, to deliver election results, Florida was done by about 10 o'clock election night, Eastern Standard Time. And so, you know, being a member of the state, of former, former member of the state legislature, and now a member of the Florida de delegation, to me, it's unconscionable that we would let Washington, D.C. override Florida's election laws. Um, that's even before you get to the points where it's just unconstitutional. It is quite clear that election law is is 
is decided by members of the state legislature. And so I think it's important um, that, you know, whether we're talking about election integrity and security, whether we're talking about um, pandemic spending, the things that we know that we all agree on is, is actually spending the dollars and making the, the lawful changes that actually improve our process, that don't make it worse, that don't favor one side over the other, that don't try to make sure that politics is the, is the North Star when it comes to how Washington operates. What needs to be, what the North Star needs to be, frankly, is freedom and liberty of the American people. It is respect for all individuals, all races, all colors, all creeds. It has to be where people are free to speak their mind and really pursue their happiness as they see fit and making sure that the laws are clearly defined so that all of us can operate in harmony and peace. If that's the North Star that Washington operates, our nation will be better for it. Um, I know my colleague, Congressman Owens, believes that. I definitely know that Jay Parker believes it and believed it. And so I'm just happy to be here in order to be a part of this. this Thank you, Congressman Donald. I'll tell you, um, one of the things that I've heard in terms of people's response to you is that you're you're authentic and you've you've got the voice of the people on your heart. Um, and I think you're right. People are looking for leadership that represents them and that's honest and isn't talking in political talk, but rather plain speak. So now I'd like to invite Representative Owens to take a few minutes to tell us about um, his priorities for the next two years. Representative Owens, over to you. Well, thank you so much uh, uh, for this opportunity. Uh, first of all, uh, it's interesting. I think back on the, the 90s uh, when I was just kind of young in the conservative movement. I've always been a conservative. I realize that now, even though uh, growing up in Tallahassee, Florida, I, I voted as a Democrat. But uh, there's two voices that, that stand out as I was raising my family, uh, kind of getting my feet back on the ground with, with my career, but uh, listening to Rush Limbaugh every single day uh, as I was riding around. And uh, Rush was one of those voices. And Jay, uh, because of a conversation I had with, uh, with Rush, and uh, interview I did with in, uh, in, in the Limbaugh letter, uh, Jay was able to kind of become aware of who I was. I lived in Philadelphia at the time. And I remember having a long conversation and you're right, he was truly a pioneer. When I say a pioneer, he represented the, 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 the greatest generation uh, of, our, our, of our times. And that was my parents' generation. Uh, they understood what it was to love our country, to, to, to look at the greatness of who we are, the promises of our founders. And he was willing to pass that on to, to people of his same color, people like myself, that were given this different, uh, different narr narrative. So I'm, I'm thankful for Jay, uh, thankful for everything he's done. My message, very simply, is I was blessed again to grow up in a remarkable time when the segregation, KKK, Jim Crow, but a, a community that truly believed in itself. Uh, we believed in those days, just like every other community, even though we were not uh, assimilating, we, we, we had faith in our nation. We believed in God, country, family, respected women and authority. And every culture did the same thing. We, we, we leaned in hard to meritocracy as a way to command respect. And my, my community was one of the best at doing that. Uh, and I, I talk about it all the time because it's important that we understand the truth of our history. Uh, you know, right now, I don't, I don't talk hypothetical when I talk about the, the greatness of a community that led our country to growth in the middle class, men matriculating from college, men committed to marriage over 70%. Percentage of entrepreneurs, a community that in the forty in, in the sixties when I was growing up, fifty to sixty percent of of our of our country of our of our race was part of the middle class, and and so my message will be basically this, and this is something that we cannot lean in hard enough. This country is is based on a premise 
that if we educate ourselves, if we, we lean in hard to our faith, whatever it might, whatever it might be, if we uh, understand that free market, the, the, the free enterprise is the way to go, and our families are essential, our families should be first, that should be what every parent uh, is willing to sacrifice everything for their families. We look at those four tenets, then any person, any culture is literally one generation away from middle class. And that's the message, that's the history that we have that we need to make sure we're learning because the other side, the hard left, would love for us not to believe that. They'd love for us to believe that we the people cannot achieve no matter what our background is, the American dream, and we can't do that. <clears throat> the other thing, I, that my, my message, and of course, you know, we have a window of, of two years. I think what we can do best uh, is, is show contrast. Uh, I've, I've had a chance to understand the greatness of, of our country because I was taught that growing up from a dad who was a World War II vet, to two parents who were, who were very much into academia, to teaching. Uh, so I understand that the, the process of what we can do and the hopes we have. Uh, I've been talking about what turned my community upside down, the hard left, Marxism, socialism, communism. I saw what it did to my community. We have a chance in the next two years to show contrast. When I say contrast, we as an American people love to drift toward the light. That's what we do intrinsically. We love freedom. We love uh, opportunity, love vision. We like to dream big. That's who we are. And we've been, we've been kind of in this place where freedom's taken, been taken for granted for quite a while. And as people like myself have talked about the evil of an ideology, we now have a chance to show contrast as, as the Republican Party continues to talk about certain things like um, getting, out, uh, getting everybody back to work, uh, making sure kids back to school, make sure we get back to health. Those things are in key to us. As we see the other side, we have good Americans on both sides of the aisle. Democrats, independents, and, and, and Republicans that finally can talk together about those things that are important to us. And it's so important that we, the people, realize the greatest threat we have to the left, to those who want to take away our freedom, is the ability to talk to each other. We, the people, once we start communicating, there's no stronger uh, power than that is. We're going to be talking about things like choice for the first time in a way that we never have been. Because even though it's been very important to me, as I watch people, kids in my community, be given no choice, and, and taking down a road of illiteracy and hopelessness. We now have, uh, uh, we have the, the moms in, in, in zip codes that, that have, have never had this problem before, that have been sympathetic to the issues that I'm talking about, that now can be empathetic because they realize now without a choice, what happens to their kids also, and we can start looking at each other in a little different way. So I look forward to, to being that part of contrast along with, uh, uh, with, with Byron and, and all the other uh, Republicans that we now see as coming together to give this message we're talking about. And because of this conversation, we will in the next two years be so much better off, so much more educated and engaged in the power being pushed down to where it should be. We, the people at the state, at the local levels, decisions should be made in terms, in, terms, in terms of how our country goes. And we'll do much more of that as we now take back uh, the power we've given to the federal side uh, for way too long and begin to, to, to function uh, toward getting to our, to our dreams that we always wanted to. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that process and can't wait to, uh, to share that uh, with all Americans that, that, that share the dreams that I'm just talking about. Representative Owens, we, we all can see that you too are a beacon of light uh, here in Washington. And um, we are looking forward to your service in Congress. Uh, and again, so thrilled to have um, both of you here with us today. Let's let's start to have a conversation here. Um, you know, we saw uh, more people voting for conservatives in the 2020 elections, and that included non-traditional audiences. And um, an important focus at Heritage is 
to attract new non-traditional audiences to the conservative movement. So I'd love to hear from both of you um, as to how you see us being able to attract more blacks and minorities to the uh, to conservative policies. Um, Congressman, you just spoke about, you know, it's not left, right, up, down, north, south. I mean, we're Americans. And I, I think that people need to hear, you know, again, how as Americans we're gonna come together. And of those of us who are in the conservative movement, how to make our, our messages on policies really resonate. Uh, so uh, Congressman Donalds, let's go back to you and then we'll come back to uh, Congressman Owens. Well, I think, you know, that's probably the most important question right now in our politics. I think it's really, you just, you just have to be real with people, be real about where we are, don't sugarcoat things, be, be honest, be upfront, uh, be authentic, but you gotta relate and understand where people are. Um, you know, I think that's critical. I think, uh, you know, look, even Jesus had to go to where people were. He didn't just sit on his mantle. I mean, he had the highest mantle of all, but he didn't sit on his mantle and just say, hey, follow me. He went to where people were and preached a message and then asked them to follow. And people did. You know, some Most people did. I think here's the reality is the same here in politics. I think if you want to win people to the side of conservatism, you can't just wait till election cycles come around in September and October and ask them to, to vote for a specific candidate. I think you have to really go out to communities, go out to neighborhoods and take the message of the things that conservatives stand for um, and the principles that we espouse, why we believe those things. And also really take the time to understand where people are, what's going on in their lives, what's going on in their communities, what are they trying to get? Where are they trying to get to? What do they perceive the issues being? And really building that relationship. I think it's far more than just votes. It can't be transactional. If you're gonna change that tide, there has to be a, a real earnest desire to build those relationships um, and to just be authentic and upfront about the things that you think will work for all communities. I think the beauty of the conservative ideal is that it's not something that you can just bifurcate. It's not, it's not something that works for one group of people but doesn't work for another group of people. It really works for all people. It just has to be disseminated and brought to all people. And I think if you do that, I think we'll continue to see the growth uh, that conservatism is already having. Congressman Donalds, I hear relationships, 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 relationships. Uh, Congressman Owens, jump in and, and tell us, you know, what you're doing towards this end and, and, and what you've seen as models of success. Well, first of all, I think the last uh, four years has been a very um, enlightening uh, lesson that we should all learn from. And keep, keep this in mind, we have to always kind of go back to our foundations, really not know where our future lies. This, this start off by where our past began. It started off with real Christian values. So the values have given us a nation that's unlike anything in the history of mankind. We look at each other better from inside out than outside in. We get better at every single generation. I can say that growing up in East South uh, Tallahassee in a segregated community and now being a congressman, to, to hear a, a, a fellow congressman like the Congress uh, 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 Donald that actually represents the, 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 the new generation, this upcoming generation that will take this message even a little bit further. So at the end of the day, it comes down to this. Uh, what, what does American people want? Life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. And it has nothing to do with our skin color. It has nothing to do with how we got here or how long we've been here. It has to do with the intrinsic rights that we believe as, as, as people that will make us happy. 
And that comes down to policies. Uh, over the years, we have gotten away from understanding that policies work the same for everyone as we start putting together black policies, white policies, Hispanic policies. Policies that give us life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness makes us happy Americans and proud Americans. And I'm so thankful that the last four years, we're beginning to do that. Uh, we came in, uh, President Trump came in with a listing of 10 different things that he was going to make sure that was, was, uh, was addressing issues of the urban community, things that I've never seen, seen for years that nobody wanted to address. And, and when it comes down to those, those basic issues, and, and it, it's, it's having the ability to have a business, having the ability to have our faith, uh, safety, security, those things that every single one of us would love to have. How do we continue to grow our community and our, our, our tent? Make sure that everyone has the rights to those things I just mentioned. And, uh, and that's what, again, we have to continue to get that message out. The other thing is this, uh, the American dream, the American way um, is more than just a lifestyle. Of course, we have created the greatest middle class in the history of mankind because of the tenets we believe in. And that middle class is the most empathetic, it's the most visionary, it's the most uh, serv servicing. That is what brings a culture that people want to be part of. <clears throat> At the same time, we have to make sure that, uh, uh, that we're giving people hope. I think the most, thing, most important thing about the American dream and who we are is not the material piece. It's even if we're struggling, is giving people hope, which means we, sh we have to share those downtimes we have. And not look at it as, as something that is personal or something that's against us, but recognize that everything we go through is for our good. It's for us to learn from. So us to more importantly, learn the lessons of, of defeat. But as we come out of it, to give hope to our fellow Americans. And the message that we give best, that if we really understand what is, what is it Americans can give to each other, that these words, if I can do it, you can do it. That's the message of America. And that's what we have to fight against because we have an elitist class that doesn't give that message. The elitist class that tells us what we cannot do and says, basically, I can do it, but you can't. So I'm gonna make sure I, 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 I pay the way that you have no pain, no downside, and you, you will be a very happy person. And of course, we know that doesn't happen. So we have to, and in essence, look at our policies, the policies that work for every single American to give them happiness, it works for the other, and it doesn't matter what our color is. And, and I look forward to being part of that. And the most important thing is we need to share our defeats, share our victories, what we learn from it, and, uh, and, and give people that hope. That is the true American way that we move our country forward. I love it. I mean, there are no winners and losers. You know, I just, I, I, I love the way you articulated that, which is a nice segue into um, this notion, you know, the Jay Parker lecture series is about encouraging civil discourse. And we've got a lot of sandpaper uh, issues out there that are swarming um, the environment. And so let's talk a little bit about in this age of cancel culture, uh, how do we find civil discourse again? And as as leaders in, 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 in the Congress, how will you, both of you, um, be a, an example of, of, of what civil discourse means. Um, let's go back to you, Congressman Donald. Well, this is actually a real good topic, an interesting one. I just believe in being direct. You know, I, I grew up in inner city Brooklyn, New York, and so some of the things you learn growing up on the streets are, you know, you're very careful of how you say things to certain people because you just don't know who you're talking to. And so, because you don't want to get caught in a bad situation, you know, just just being honest. So I think really it's about being direct and being um, upfront about what your principles and your policies are. 
but at the same time, you know, not just not taking it down that lane where you're just being personal, you know, because, you know, if you get personal with me, the, I'm not even going to listen to what you're saying. I'm just going to take offense and I'm going to get defensive. And so I think that's probably the path forward. I think in terms of just cancel culture overall, I mean, I, I don't think people should be afraid to say what they need to say. I would prefer people be open and upfront with what they might say and how they feel. It's, it takes a lot for me to get offended personally. But um, I, think, I think the other thing we got to do is people have to stop getting in their feelings when it comes to issues. Um, I think there has to be a common understanding that we all want the best thing for America and for the country going forward. But there are just serious disagreements in America about what that path is. Because I completely disagree with the other side doesn't mean that I somehow think the other side is less than me or vice versa. And I think that's really where, really where we need to get to. And I think that especially when you're talking about black conservatives, I probably say we know that probably more so than anybody else because the viewpoints that we hold and the, and the vigor upon which we debate them, sometimes we're viewed as less than um, within the community for holding those positions. And I think that's wrong as well. But I think the way you combat that is not shying away from it. I think you lean into it. I think you engage into it. Um, that's that's the way I look at it. That's that's one of the reasons. That's one of the things I plan on doing, uh, whether it's members up here on Capitol Hill or whether it's people of the black community or overall or, you know, people around America. I think you really just got to lean in, dig in and be consistent about taking your message and not being afraid of what others think about it. Wonderful. Congressman Owens, I mean, as, as you jump into the conversation, tell us what you think about the research, the data and the analysis towards um, us being able to hold a line of civil discourse as and, and, and being direct as, as Congressman Donalds has talked about. Okay, well, first of all, let's, let's look at what it takes to have strong, good conversations. Uh, it's first of all, setting your priorities. Uh, one thing about the conservative movement, very simply, priorities are very, very solid, very strong, and very simple. is love of God, country's family, respect for women, and authority. Very simple, and it's something that my parents taught me, and now, this is Byron, I, I can tell from his, his mom's uh, point of view, that's what he was taught. So once we get that start, start squared away, what is our priorities? Then what people say doesn't really mean anything. Uh, as long as they have respect for my family, those I love, those I respect, it doesn't really matter because I'm putting everything on the line for God, country, family, and, or, and, and the things I just mentioned. The other part is this. We have to also recognize that we've been in attack for a long, long time. Uh, it was Karl Marx, uh, and I wish people would really do some homework on how little of a person, individual, and a very, uh, uh, very much of a failure he was. And yet we have today people pushing his, 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 his philosophy. But he said very simply, the first battleground rewriting of history. You steal our history, you steal pride in our past, our appreciation for our present, and our vision for our future. And most importantly, as we start to not be educated, we ne therefore do not have a confidence in a way that we can communicate with each other. Critical thinking is so important because it gives us confidence. If I have the confidence to talk to someone who does not agree with me, we can truly do old school, let's agree to disagree. That's where we were brought up. And so we need to be able to have those kind of conversations, uh, understand that uh, at the end of the day, the more we talk, the more we find solutions. The more we, the people, communicate and, and that have that harmonious uh, process, the better we are. And by the way, we have to make sure that we never allow the left to take away those things that bring us together, those unifying factors, God being one, our flag being another our love for country, if we can agree, go into a sports game where, where we can put aside all the differences and together be on the same team for a few hours, 
that brings up a, a, a sense of unity that allows us to have these kind of good conversations. The other most important thing that I, I have to say, for us to have conversations, we have to have respect for each other. What I've recognized is the other side, the council culture, culture they're very angry, angry people, mean people. They will destroy lives and, and reputations without any qualm, without any shame. So what does that mean to us? We need to make sure we're putting God back into our families, into our country, into our kids' future, and into their, their, their psyche. Allow faith to flourish, no matter what that faith looks like. That's what made our country the great country it is. We'll continue to have us move in that direction. It will continue to allow us to, uh, to have a sense of uh, tolerance that we can literally get together, totally disagree, but we have the same end game, which is the better of our country. We just have maybe different ways of getting there. So education, number one. Faith, number two. And again, all that, I'll uh, ask up to the last two things I just want to continue to, to point to, because these are things that Booker T. Washington highlighted to my race back in the early 1900s. It's head, heart, hands, and home. Head being education, heart being faith, hands being industry, free market, and home being the family. Those four tenets literally will allow any race, culture, person, no matter when they get here, to live the American dream. We need to make sure we're teaching that, standing forward, and when people come at us, stay strong and stay focused and, um, and fight for those, those things that, that really make our country great. You know, I, I want to I wanna pose a question to you all on behalf of Generation Z <laughs> uh, and, and, and some of the millennials who kind of stick their chest out and say, I don't need a label. I'm just me and I do me. Can you all bo both talk to um, why you why you think um, um, the title conservative is important for who you are, uh, and why you made that decision to to carry forth um, the the label conservative, and if you can be a Democrat and conservative or a Republican and conservative, to kind of talk to the younger people about what conservatism means for for you as a person, and 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 why that's important as being called a family man. Uh, either one of you, take it away. Can, can I just start it first, Byron? Be okay. No, go ahead, Burgess. You got it. Okay. Okay. Uh, what What does conservatism really mean? Uh, and again, if you go back to the foundation of what our country is all about, uh, our judicial Christian value, it's about service. Uh, Byron said something earlier as we got started that I want to ditto because it was actually what the way I was raised, it, and that is reach back serve those around you, serve the community, and, and actually uh, make sure that next generation comes out in a much better place. That's, that's been our American way all, all the way along the line. Uh, well, that being the case, what we've unfortunately have done over the last couple of generations is we're training our kids in the school system not to think that way. I can look at myself as a football player back in the 1960s, uh, 70s and, and 80s. You know, we, we had a humbleness about ourselves because we did, we did something good and we would look at the team as being a big piece of that. We'd, we'd high-five each other, but it was always about the team. Today's society has changed dramatically where it's all about self. And, and what young people have to realize is that that only goes but so far until you find yourself a very miserable person. Our, our feedback from other people, our, our, our gift to what lives of other people is where we get our joy and our, at the end of the day, our sense of, of accomplishment, the fact that our life meant something. At the self-centeredness that we're seeing, and we see this in our black community, where over 70% of black men now will not commit to the mothers of their children. And there's nothing, nothing being said about it in the black community. I would say this to those who run the black communities in the past, the far left. 
they seem to think that's a that's a that's a that's a good thing. Uh, for for those of us who understand the idea of what manhood means, what motherhood is all about, uh, at the end of your, end of your life, you come where you're lonely, no one cares, nobody nobody cares about your name. Uh, that is the worst moment in your life. To realize it was all worthless to you. So we have to uh, recognize that conservative conservatism basically means, as I just mentioned before, in understanding that we have to have a love for others, other things than ourselves, God, country, family, respect for women, and authority allows us to have these these feelings about ourselves that we can truly, even though we make mistakes, we still have value to others because we're doing our best uh, to make sure our lives, our names, uh, our presence means something to somebody else. Congressman? Here's what I would tell you on this one. I, I can kind of understand why millennials and Gen Zs, you know, don't want to have a group identity. You know, I think it's really because they're growing up in a time or they've grown up in a time where they can literally be as individualistic as they choose to be. I mean, even down to the way they consume media, down to their 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 cell phones, um, smartphones, however you want to call it, they literally can customize everything about their lives. And so in some respects, it's really in the environment that they're growing up, um, even including school and like Burgess just talked about, everything can become so individualized as opposed to not being part of a of a group or it's actually promoted to never to try to not be a part of a group. I mean, to young people, what I would tell them is, look, then that means you're more conservative than you realize, because, you know, the, the true nature of conservatism or classical liberalism or whatever word you want to use is really the innate understanding that that you are a, a sentient being created by God with with specific talents and abilities um, that if left alone can grow and prosper. I mean, that's really the essence of, of what we believe. And I think that the issue is, is that they're taught about offense and they're talk about they're taught about the the dark parts of our history as if those are the only things to be to consider about our history, not actually celebrating the successes, not promoting the fact that um, the, the beauty of our nation is that you have actually a wide spectrum of individualism where people, frankly, can be more than just the color of their skin or be more than just their gender, or be more than just a community they grew up in. And so I think, I think for them, the, the, the real nature of the millennial or the Gen Z, where they're so individualized, actually speaks quite well to conservatism. And that's why I think that um, for the future of our politics, I think it's going to be a, a very bright one, as long as, and I'm going to go back to it, as long as we actually take the opportunity to build those relationships and actually be authentic about who we are and what we believe. Can I, can I add something to that? Um, sure, absolutely. Because one, one of the things I think um, at, at the crux of, of how we move forward is the idea of being proud of who we are. Um, you know, again, I, I grew up in a time when um, I was the third black to go to get a scholarship at the University of Miami. My biggest concern was just not to let my family down, not to let my community down, and I was going to do everything I could to, to do my best. That was because we were taught pride, pride in family, pride in country. And that's what we have to get back to now. Where does that pride come from? From true history. Uh, when we understand what we, the people, have done together, no other nation in the history of mankind has done what we've done. We are the people that, that spent 600,000 lives in slavery. We're the people that had the Underground Railroad in which hundreds of thousands of white Americans and German Americans and Mexican Americans opened their homes so that people they will never see again in life can have a little bit of a glimpse of what it was to have hope and to have freedom. 
And we go through our history and we learn all the success, which we're not being taught today. And that's going to be my mission, by the way. Uh, because I grew up in a time where I was taught my history, I will be bringing things to the front, to the American people that people have never heard about. And it's sad to say that's the case. But the more pride we have in ourselves and the entrepreneurial spirit that's made our country so great, uh, the sooner we fast move, move forward. Let me just give one example. I came into the NFL in 1973. At that time, there was no black quarterbacks, no middle linebackers, no middle, uh, no middle, uh, uh, no centers, no, no free safeties. Because in those days, those were quote white thinking positions. Those are leadership positions. So you have great quarterbacks coming out of black schools who turn into cornerbacks or, or, or running backs. This is the way it was. We now here have in 2021, it doesn't matter what position a young man wants to play. It doesn't matter what his color is. If he's willing to, to get in there and produce, he can make millions and millions of dollars, $50 million a year. What's missing in the 1973 NFL player than the player today? When I was growing up, because of that great generation I was raised with, we would have been making the money we're making today. We would have come together recognizing that around that football field, billions of dollars of revenue that could be pulled together to make sure our kids have the greatest education in the world, that had opportunities to, to, to have a business and to be mentored and to be given this opportunity to grow for, go for it instead of just entertainment. <clears throat> the difference is we, we have to, in the, the old days we were taught to turn within, to find our solutions within. Today we've been teaching, our kids have been taught to find somebody else to find those same solutions. Let's get back to our basics, recognize that we the people have the solutions and that my, my bottom line is, is it's going to be up to black conservatives, not the Republican Party. I mean, are we, we, we want to have help. We want to have support. But who, who is going to drive this message just like Jay Parker did, uh, just like Walter Williams did and Thomas Sowell? It's going to be those of us who say we've been there, done that. This is how we get out. I think, I think Byron's great message is that he grew up in Brooklyn, Brooklyn, New York. For someone to go from Brooklyn, New York, and to now be a, a congressman at the young age he is, to give this message, there are going to be young people who've never heard the message who say, you know what, let me listen a little closer and find out I can relate to this. And if he can do it, I can do it. That's how we build our, our, our base, by giving the message, by having the courage to say the truth. And truth will prevail if enough people get a chance to listen to it and it touch their heart and move them forward also. Well, you know, it's amazing when you're having a great time, time just runs out. And, uh, <laughs> Congressman Owens, I mean, I think you've given us um, a lot of food for thought in terms of what we can do and what we should be focused on. So what I'm going to do, Congressman Donalds, is I'm going to give you the last word. Uh, and if you could tell us in, in a minute or less, as we look at um, HR1 and election integrity and immigration, um, coming forward and, and, and all the policies um, that we see that will create that um, sandpaper friction for bigger government. Uh, let's just wrap up back where you started with we the people. What should we the people be doing and how should we be keeping our eyes on Washington during the next hundred or so days? Uh, be in contact with members of Congress. And I'm gonna be very blunt on this one, specifically to who happen to be in the United States Senate, that's Kirsten Cinema and Joe Manchin. Because the way this whole system is working right now, uh, those two votes in the Senate actually probably matter more than most votes around this place because they're gonna be the log jam for whether these radical policies get through. Um, what I always tell constituents are is that if you send an email, that's great. But if you have a thousand people call a, a congressional office or a Senate office, 
they pay attention. And so that's, I would say, get on the phones, make sure you're in their ears. Um, that's the way I believe you stop some of these radical policies right now, the way, Cong the way Congress is, is uh, set up. Wonderful, wonderful. I'll tell you, this has been a great conversation and I hate that our time is running out. But what I wanna do now is just to say to everyone on behalf of our President K. Coles James, I wanna thank Mrs. Parker and Ashley. I wanna thank both Representative Donalds and Representative Owens for being with us today. And I think after hearing from both of them um, and hearing their vision for the conservative movement, and for the black community and for the country. Uh, you can clearly see why the Heritage Foundation and the Glosser Institute are so excited to have these two dynamic conservative leaders in Congress. Gentlemen, it was wonderful having both of you with us uh, for this year's Jay Parker Lecture. And thank you so much to everyone in the audience for joining us today. And if you'd like to learn more about the Heritage Foundation, please visit heritage.org. And if you want to learn more information about the Gloucester Institute, go to gloucesterinstitute.org. Again, on behalf of our president, Kay Coles James, thanks for joining us for this so very special event. And I hope you have a terrific day. Thank you.